0: welcome to the second episode of the radical simple living podcast i'm here speaking to you from my home in Smallland in sweden surrounded by the swedish forest i say the swedish forest it's the nordic forest it's part of the great northern forest that spreads around the world near its top bit not the arctic circle but into the arctic circle i'm not near the arctic circle although it feels a bit cold at times Um, It's a simple broadcast. It's not using any sophisticated uh, equipment. It's just my finger. And if I want to stop the podcast, I hit the pause button and then I take the finger off the pause button and start again. So no heavy editing takes place of this. So if there are little errors, uh, I'll have to do something about them by correcting myself, which is what people do when they talk to one another all the time. Now, there are some background noises. One is my fire that is crackling away in the background there. The other one is the sound of the occasional cat running across the floor or meowing even if they're going to be difficult. I gave them all some food before starting this uh, podcast, so I hope that's going to keep them happy. And you might hear the sound of teenage children quietly discussing some issue of contemporary life quietly in a room a long way away. Um... Those things happen. It's not going to stop me getting on with this. Anything louder than that, I'll just use the pause button. Now, in the first episode of this podcast, I raised a question. And I'm not going to say the word I'm talking about yet, because that will give the game away a little bit. But I'm talking about that man whose first name was Henry, who lived in the woods at Concord, Massachusetts, and built a hut for himself at... Walden Pond and lived there for two years. And the debate was really about his name because I called him, here goes, Henry Thoreau. Now I come from Britain and Henry Thoreau's family didn't come from mainland Britain, they came from the Channel Isles, these little islands that are halfway between England and France, closer to France as it happens. And there the name will be said Thoreau. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, But I look for evidence, and some of the evidence comes from his neighbours, and one of those was Amos Bronson Alcott. Now, you you may know about Amos Bronson Alcott. He was a man that was into a little bit of radical, simple living himself, and at least one of his experiments went badly wrong in that, which I'll tell you about some other time. But he uh, wrote... How the word Thoreau should be said. And he said it should be pronounced Thoreau. Now, Henry Thoreau's aunt also said it should be pronounced Thoreau. So you might think that was the end of the argument, but but it wasn't. One of his other neighbours in uh, Concord, Edward Waldo Emerson, thought something different. He said the name should be pronounced Thoreau. Now, which of those is right? They were all three knew each other. Theroux, um, Alcott, Emerson, all lived within walking distance of one another. They met regularly in each other's homes. You'd have thought they could have decided on how to... you think they would have said to him, Henry, how do you say your second name? And he'd have told them, and they said, OK, that's fine. But that didn't happen. There's a debate about it even now. I don't think it matters how you say it to be honest. I mean, the the point is this movement they had, um, this group of thinkers and naturalists and philosophers came up uh, with um, a whole movement in which they decided to re-examine lots of basic um, things. And they decided that everybody had to find their own path. They didn't believe in following certain religious creeds. They didn't believe in following certain political parties, they thought everybody had to find their own route. They called this movement the Transcendental Movement, and so they're called Transcendentalists. And we know their ideas, while they didn't spread much themselves, few people today describe themselves as Transcendentalists, though some do. Um, It did have a big influence on America, un-American thought, and the way Americans think, the way Americans regard issues—they're fairly suspicious of authority in a way that most Europeans aren't. They certainly see it as part of their basic freedom to um, uh, take their own direction in life. And many of those ideas came from Henry Thoreau. Sometimes Thoreau gets a little bit of unfair criticism because, as we know, Thoreau went into the woods. Built this log cabin, it would, it would be described as a shotgun shack by most people, to be honest. It just had a wood stove, a bed, a chair and a table in it. And he spent two years there. But people will say to you, oh yeah, Thoreau lived in the forest okay. But every two weeks he sent his washing home for his mother to do for him. Now I think that is true. I think he did send his washing home every couple of weeks for his mother to do. And I'm not going to hold that against him. Um, I know if he was really living off grid, he could have taken his washing down to Walden Pond and scrubbed it up against a rock or something. But he didn't. He took it home for his mother to do because he was a, a bit of a groundbreaker. But he wasn't prepared to break all the ground at once. He was prepared to uh, to do some things, but not everything. And, and that maybe is... Like all of us, we're very selective about which bits of simple living we want to embrace and which bits we're going to leave for somebody else. Okay, so that's Henry Through sorted, and it's these transcendentalists put in position. We will come back to them from time to time because they were important. Another issue that I raised in last podcast was this use of the word radical. Now, the name of this podcast is Radical Simple Living. And the name of my blog is Radical Simple Living. And incidentally, on my blog, every time I do one of these podcasts, a day or two later, I'm putting up a list of references. So if I refer to a book, or if I refer to a person, or a set of ideas, or something like that, there will be a way that you can go to the blog, Find the notes on the podcast and and follow up. Now, some of those things will be just a bit of extra uh, source material. Sometimes I'll give links to audiobooks and to uh, real books that you can read online. You won't have to pay for those. I'm not doing this to uh, get rich. I'm doing this to spread the idea of simple living. And one of the ways you can live simply is by not spending money on things that you don't have to. Now, the word radical has always been fairly contentious some people would be highly offended if you described them as a radical and some people would glow in in self-righteousness if you called them radical because that's what they want to be but we're not using the word radical as a noun here i'm not describing you as radicals for listening i'm not describing myself as a radical for uh, making this podcast We're using the word radical as an adjective. Uh, uh, An adjective uh, that can go before a sentence like simple living and turn it into radical simple living and make it something different. Because simple living is something lots of people do. You can live simply as a millionaire in a mansion if you want to and have lots of servants and you can still live quite simply. Or you can live simply and do all the things that everybody else does. And you can say, oh, I'm quite a simple person, me. And maybe what you're thinking of is simplicity in terms of not being too complicated. And that's fine. I'm not knocking that, that's a point of view, but it's not what I'm talking about. I'm using the word radical in the sense that is uh, spelt out here by the Oxford English Dictionary. Now I'm British, you know that, You're, you're aware of that every time I say a word. And I tend to go to the Oxford English Dictionary, if I want a definition of the word. I've also looked it up on Webster's, and it's a pretty similar definition. So here goes. Radical, adjective, especially of change or of action, relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something, which is far-reaching and thorough. That's the end of the quote. Now, that's quite strong stuff, isn't it? Because that's suggesting that simple living is one thing, but radical simple living is far-reaching and thorough and affecting the fundamental nature of that word living at the end. And that's how I like to think of it. I know the word radical is also used in a political sense, And in recent years, people have tended to associate it with left-wing politics. There's no reason why it should be, because you can be interested in radical right-wing politics. You can be interested in radical left-wing politics. The word is floating about out there somewhere. And and, uh, I try and avoid it because it means different... It's one of those words that means different things to different people. But as an adjective, in the sense that I gave it, Affecting the fundamental nature of something far-reaching and thorough. I'm good with that. So that's how I'm using the word in this uh, podcast and in my blog. And if you have a conversation with me or a chat with me on any of the social media places you can find me. I'll be using the word radical in exactly the same way. Now it's time for another word. And this word does cause some problems to people. The word is minimalism. Now. To a lot of people, and certainly lots of the articles that I read in newspapers and magazines, uh, you know, Google flashes upwards with simplicity and simple living and minimal, as though they all mean the same thing. And quite often a glossy magazine will do a a thing on simple living. And what they mean is painting your walls white and putting a bit of white furniture in the middle of it. Now, I do know some people who do live uh, a minimal lifestyle. They're minimalists and quite often this is associated with Buddhism. Not always and not exclusively, but sometimes. And um, I really have no problems with it. I'm not saying what I'm saying now to not people that live a minimalistic lifestyle. I mean, it's 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 good to them and it does. We do share common things, but it's not the same as simple. For instance, if you go into my garden here, I use my garden for two things. One, I try and grow as much food as I can in it, but I also try and keep it in harmony with the forest around it. There are no fences around my garden. My garden blends into thousands and thousands and well, millions, possibly, of acres of woodland around it. It has no fence. Uh, uh, that's the way it is. It's not uncommon in Sweden. Um, that's the way things are. So my garden merges into the world, merges into the woodland, and I wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest. But in my garden, I grow lots of fruit bushes, uh, soft fruit. I grow gooseberries and raspberries and blackcurrants and redcurrants and blackberries and blueberries and lingonberries a little bit in the woodland itself, not far away. So all of these soft fruits are growing there. Now, because I lead a simple life, I eat these soft fruits and I want to pick them, I want to preserve them for eating through the winter, I want to dry them, I want to bottle them, I want to make jams with them, I want to make sauces with them. Um, And to do those things I need lots of equipment. I need gardening gloves because if you've ever tried pruning a raspberry or or not so much a raspberry but a gooseberry bush certainly without gloves you're in for a lot of pain So don't do it. I need secateurs. I actually need two sets of secateurs. I need straight cutting and those that sort of cut up against something for different bits of pruning I'm doing. I need those little devices that strip the berries off red currants and white currants and black currant plants and save an awful lot of time. I need containers to put them in. Trugs is the word we use in Britain. I'm not sure if that's a worldwide term or just a British one. I need all that equipment... And because I need all that equipment, I need somewhere to store it. So I have a shed that is full of this kind of equipment. That's just for one job. This is just for looking after the soft fruit. Also, when I bring that soft fruit into the kitchen, I need to prepare it. I need a a range. I need pots and pans. I need jars. I need lids for jars. I need things to stir the pots with. I need ways of sterilizing the jars. I need those special tools for lifting jars out of hot water. I need somewhere to store the jars when I've got them preserved. I need labels to put on. Again, we're just dealing with soft fruit. If you take other things like uh, vegetables and nuts and herbs, all these things require their own equipment. And you also need information. Now, I don't like to go rushing to the internet every time I want to do something. I like to sit in the evenings and plough through my collection of old um, gardening books and old cookery books and try and find out the ways people used to do things. And they need to live on a bookcase. And so there's lots of books on the bookcase. That's one of the things there are in my home. I wouldn't change that aspect of it for anything. So to a pure minimalist coming into my house, they go, whoa, why do you need that? And what's that? And why do you need that? And why is this room got so many cupboards in and things like that? It's because a simple lifestyle has to have the tools to do it with. You can't do anything without tools. If you in your life are a carpenter, if you in your life are a metal worker or a crocheter or a knitter or a dressmaker, you know that you need lots of tools to do these things. And you know the ideal thing for a dressmaker is to have a room where they can keep all their stuff together and and go in and work and do what they need to do and what they really want to do and what they love to do. A minimalist would probably wince a bit at that, just at the sheer amount of stuff you need to live simply. Now, I'm not saying we all can't do something to unclutch our lives and we can't all do something to operate a sort of system where if you buy a new pair of secateurs the old pair go into the metal recycling or if you buy a new saucepan for boiling fruit because your old one has the bottom's gone on it then you recycle the old one so there's a constant turnover of things but a simple life requires lots of things a minimalistic life doesn't and lots of minimalists live very rewarding lives with their minimalism But they would not be considered to be simple living in my definition of it. They might be in theirs. And they certainly wouldn't be considered radical simple living because they seem to be containing their minimalism in a way that suits them. But it might not be a way that has outreaching fingers into the rest of the world. And that's really what I want to talk about next. Now, the last full-time paid job I had was in 2003. In 2003, I gave up my fairly well-paid full-time job then, and started on the road to radical simple living that I'm still traveling today. So next year, uh, in July, actually, it will be a 20-year anniversary of simple living. For me, I always lived simply before that, but the kind of radical simple living I'm talking about here. And I've written about these things in magazines and I've done the old television broadcast and I've certainly done lots of blogging. And this is something I wrote in 2014. And what I said is if you want to live simply, there are just three things that you need to keep a grip on. And these are the three things that I wrote. I still agree with them, by the way, which is good. I haven't changed my mind. Firstly, you need the desire to live more simply and avoid a life that is more complicated than necessary. Well, that's fairly straightforward, isn't it? The desire to live more simply and avoid a life that is more complicated than necessary. A minimalist would agree with that, I'm sure. There'll be no problems with that. The second thing that I consider essential for radical, simple living is this. The need... To care for and cherish the environment. And I want to come back to that one in a minute. The need to care for and cherish the environment. Notice the word your environment isn't there. The word the environment is there. We need to take responsibility for what's happening everywhere. And that's not easily done. But I'll go on to that later after these three points I've got out of the way. And the third one is this the belief that simplicity is a gateway to greater understanding of the true values of life and or a more spiritual approach to life now in that last one let me say what it's not saying first of all it's not saying that i have a spiritual path that i want you to follow i do have a spiritual path so do you yours belongs to you and mine belongs to me. Henry Thoreau would approve of that idea, wouldn't he? I'm not going to tell you what the spiritual path is. And you, please, aren't going to tell me what you think I should be doing as a spiritual path. We need to work on our spiritual path ourselves. And that might mean, it could mean that you have no spiritual beliefs whatsoever, but you just want a closer affinity with the planet you live on. Well, that's fine. That's good. It might be that you follow some kind of faith. You might be a pagan or a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew or a Buddhist and you want to use your simple life to help you on that. That's fine. You might not know any of those things. You might be a seeker. You might be trying to find out more about yourself by developing a simple life. All of those things are part of this seeking uh, true values for life and a more spiritual approach to life. So those are the three things that you need at the start to go on your journey. Okay, I'm now going to come back to really the second one of those, the need to care for and cherish the environment a little bit. And this is a big issue, so I'm going to come back to this again in future podcasts. You will come across people, either people you know people who you see now and then, the odd relative you see once a year, neighbours, people you meet on social media, because a lot of people on social media are wonderful, and I've met some very important people in my life uh, via social media, and I'm meeting more all the time. But some people on social media just want to put you down. And if you say something, they'll say the opposite. If you suggest something, they'll suggest that you don't do that after all. They seem to take... Uh, a joy in telling you that whatever you're doing is wrong and I don't mind I understand that that's not a problem but one of the reasons they think you're wrong is because they don't think what you're doing makes any difference they say sure you're living a simple life and you're doing all these things but you're not making any real difference to life on this planet are you All you're doing is your own little thing. It wouldn't make any difference if you are watching football or if you were tinkering with a car or doing almost anything else. Simple living is, if you want to do it, that's fine, but it's a waste of time. Now, the reason why people hold that view is because they think little things don't matter. They think doing small things in your life don't have any real effects. But these same people often think that little things in the past have had a big uh, effect on how we live our lives now. So there's a certain contradiction here. What happened in the past might be important. Henry Thoreau building his cabin might not have seemed important, but for all the people that have read his book and tried to follow him, it has become important. There's a short story by Ray Bradbury. Now, if you've read Ray Bradbury, you, you don't need me to tell you how good he is. If you haven't re- read Ray Bradbury you really should try, although he is really a science fiction writer with occasional um, delving into horror. He's got a much bigger set of ideas that he's putting across in his work, so you could read them just as a science fiction short story or novel, but you could also read them as saying something much more important than the words that appear on the page, or the words in your ear if you're listening to an audiobook. He's really got lots of messages, and these messages are worth listening to. And one of his short stories is called A Sound of Thunder, and it's quite a famous one. It's which a character needs to go back into the past. And to go back into the past, he involves, he's rich, it's some years since I've read it, I can't remember his name, but he goes on a safari to the past, To see dinosaurs, I think, is his aim. Um, And because he's got loads of money, he will do that. Just like rich people nowadays, the uber-rich of the world like to launch themselves into space or what have you, or launch other people into space. Um, It's one of these things that very rich people do. Um, He went back into the past and he made a mistake. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the mistake is, but he did something very tiny. I'm not going to tell you in case you read the story yourself. But it had an enormous effect on the future so enormous was that effect that it changed everything now people believe that that's a cat scratching a doormat you can hear in the background people like to think yeah in the past something would have happened if 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 this river hadn't have bent there this big city wouldn't have happened if somebody hadn't have done this, if somebody hadn't have invented this wheel, if somebody hadn't have thought of this word. We know little things in the past have incredible importance when that great telescopic history thrusts them into the future, all kinds of things happen. But those same people think anything we're doing now is somehow meaningless and pointless. So... They don't know what effect the radical simplicity movement is going to have on the future. It might mean nothing. It might have enormous ramifications worldwide. We don't know. Much like uh, Rosa Parks sitting in that bus and not wanting to change her seat. I know people will say that was orchestrated and it may well have been. But the point remains, these are the little sparks that set off great things in history. And you can set off some sparks today. And we're going to do three little thought experiments. Now, in the week I was chatting to somebody on social media, on Mastodon, where you can find me, as Ray Lovegrove. Please, please look me up. Um, I was chatting with somebody who, I put a quote up about we should all be digging in the garden and growing vegetables, basically, which an awful lot of my bits are about. And she said, yeah, that's okay if you live in a countryside environment, if you're rural. But I live in the city and it's not so easy. And I sent her a link to uh, a post I did about how to grow food if you don't have a garden, which is on my Radical Simple Living at blogspot.com website. And she read it and she came back and said, well, I, I do have a balcony and I do grow some food on it. And I said, well, that's great, that's good, because you're doing something, you're helping the planet. And she is, because growing a few vegetables on a balcony isn't going to provide you with all your food, but it is going to provide you with some food. It is going to be photosynthesising and taking some of the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, and some of the other nasty things too, we know plants do. It is going to be providing homes for microorganisms and insects. It is going to produce flowers if you're growing beans or something like that. Not so much tomatoes, which are wind pollinated. But if you're growing beans or peas in pots, pollinating insects will come and visit them and it will help them. So this is one balcony. It's great, but it's one balcony. What I'd like you to do as a thought experiment is imagine a big tower block with lots of flats on it and lots of balconies. And I want you to imagine every Balcony in summer covered with plants. Flowering plants with big open flowers so pollinating insects can get into them, not the little scrunched up things that some people grow. Vegetables. All kinds of things. Little trees. Beans, peas, tomatoes. Courgettes. All these things. Zucchini in the States. Sorry, I dropped into English there. All of these things you can grow on your balcony and you should. Now, if you scanned back from this tower block and saw everybody's balcony was covered in plants in summer and there'd be a great buzz of pollinating insects around them and butterflies and all kinds of things. The amount of vegetation would actually exceed that you could grow on the footprints of that building. The building itself is X uh, X area but the volume of all those balconies is probably x times 10 so although there's a building it's just as good if everybody grew something on their balcony as growing something on the land itself so we can all do something there the second thing is if you were living in a small house oh in a town let's say on the outskirts of town a suburban street with lots of houses some old some new all of them there together And you decided, you looked out of your garden and saw there was a bit of decking and then the rest of it was lawn and every day in the summer you have to go out and cut the lawn and then you sit on the decking and look at your lawn cutting and then you go in and that's all you do for your garden for a week. If you ripped up most of your decking, just left a little bit so you could still have your chair on it. If you dug up a lot of your lawn and planted some trees and shrubs and got a vegetable plot And if you left the corners of your garden, I'm a big thing about corners in gardens, because corners in gardens are often the intersection of four people's gardens. So if everybody were to take a corner of their garden and leave it wild, let the dandelions and the brambles and the nettles take over, it actually would spread through the fence. The organisms would spread through the fence. The worms would burrow under the fence. The caterpillars would climb over. the. So that fence effectively wouldn't be there. And then if you took a drone and flew it above this area and saw everybody's garden full of greenery, full of plants, full of flowers, full of growing vegetables, and you were to then take this drone up higher and see the town down the road is doing exactly the same thing. And in fact every town and every city is full of living plants because if you bring the plants, the animals come themselves. Okay, there's slugs and snails and worms and spiders and flies and butterflies but there are birds that live on those insects and those other things those invertebrates and then there are mammals to eat the birds and you will be doing an incredible lot you could do so much with a town if you were to start spreading the word of greening up any space that you have and making it better okay i live in the country i have a bigger bit of land And I have even greater responsibility because remember this, you never truly own land. The fact that you own the deeds to a piece of land or the fact that you pay the rent for a piece of land doesn't make it your land. It means that you are the custodian of that land. And the reason I'm saying this is because one day you won't be there anymore. I hope it's a long time. You know, I hope you get to finish the end of this podcast first, but you know, you're going to, I don't know how old you are, I don't know what you do, I don't know how dangerous your life is, but one day you are going to be gone, but the land is still going to be here. Now, if you, in your time on the planet, trashed your land, if you let some oil sink into the soil, if you let rusting cars sink into the ground, if you pollute it if you concrete it over if you deck it if you cover it in artificial turf if you do some other act of vandalism to the land that you are the custodian of you are doing a bad thing okay and that might sound like a moral judgment it is a moral judgment you are doing a bad thing what do you think you're doing stop it go into your garden however big or small it is start setting aside an area for rewilding Start setting aside an area you're not going to touch. Plant some trees, plant some shrubs, plant fruit bushes, plant any berries because they're wonderful. Do something which is going to turn your custodianship of your land into a real heritage for the future. Your children, if you have them, other people's children, if you don't, the humans that come after us. We can't go on doing what we're doing. We've got to change. And... You can sit around waiting for somebody to change for you. You can wait until the government tells you to grow your vegetables in your garden. Guess what? They're not going to. You can wait until it's simpler to do. You can wait until, you know, somebody else comes and does it for you. It's not going to happen. If you want to change your life, if you want to change the life of the planet, if you want to introduce radical simplicity into your life, the only person that's going to do this is you, alone, with help, with advice, with other people doing the same thing, but you. And you are making a big difference. You are making a positive change. You are shaping the future, even if you don't know it. And even if your contribution is small, thank you. And uh, I'm going to end on that. I hope to see you next time. If this is the first of my podcasts you've listened to, do try and find some more. Do subscribe, do leave some comments on Google, or Apple, or where else? Are they Audible, or Spotify, or Deezer, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please leave comments. You can leave comments for me on social media, on my blog, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Mastodon. i would be pleased to hear them, and I'll get back to you on those things, I promise. Okay, bye everybody.